thank everybody uh, for having me here to speak with you today. Uh, I have so many memories uh, at this place, the Church of Christ, uh, as a kid. Um, we uh, attended church here uh, until I was eight years old before we moved down to Quincy. And um, my grandma is here today. Uh, she walked in this morning, by the way. That's a, an accomplishment in and of itself. And as you know, her and Gramps have been uh, members here for as long as uh, most of you probably can remember uh, for a really, really long time. So I have so many great memories here uh, at the Church of Christ. I want to start um, by about five or six. I remember I was sitting over in this section over here um, with Grandpa that day. And uh, I started during a prayer time. I don't know what time in the service it was in the liturgy, but uh, I started singing God is so good. And you all joined in with me. So I want to thank you for that. Um, <laughs> Grandpa also grabbed my leg at the time was kind of like, I don't know if I should have started that or not, but he was good with it after uh, we talked about it. So thank you for joining me with that. I also remember and I used the bathroom this morning before I came in flooding the toilets here one time. And uh, so for any of you that helped with that cleanup, I'm very, very thankful. Um, that was when mom and dad were in here for a Bible study or a choir practice. I don't remember uh, what exactly it was, but I did flood those toilets and I wish I wouldn't have, but uh, thank you. They're still going strong in there, so we're good. Um, but most importantly, I remember how many people in this body, in this church, cared so much about us young children, still like you do today, coming to know the gospel of Jesus. That's the most important thing, that that we come to know, that young children uh, get to know the stories of Jesus and most importantly get to um at some point, have a relationship with him. Many of those people were Vance Earhart, who used to pronounce my name like this, H and a hey and a couple of hars and a high and a hess. That's my last name, Harris. That's how he pronounced it. Everett Henderson handing out his pieces of gum every Sunday morning that we, uh, or Wednesday night or Sunday night, whenever we were here. Yeah, hallelujah, yeah. So many great memories. And, and I didn't know back then that I would be up here preaching from this pulpit a place that's reserved is a place of honor for the pastor of a church. And I am honored, I am humbled to be up here with you today. Before we dive into the Word of God, I want to take us back a little bit and give you a little backstory on how I got to this spot today, sharing a message with all of you that I believe God has placed on my heart. I grew up in the church, like I said, the uh, first eight years of my life here at the Church of Christ. Then my dad got a job in Quincy and we moved down there. And we were in church anytime the lights were on, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday nights, unless we had a baseball game or dad had a softball game, which was few and far between. But we were mainly at the church most Sundays, morning, evening, and night we were there. And I, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 12 years old. I was baptized when I was 12. I led worship uh, at the youth band in Quincy. I even played piano. But when I turned 18, and for much of my senior year before that, I really wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I was involved in churchy things. I went to the church, but I didn't want anything to do with him. I was leading worship. I even led worship when I was 18. And I believe I led worship when I was 19, right out of, in college as well. But I really, my life outside of that was not following Jesus. You see, I'm not a guy that wants to deal with anything. I like to push everything down. If something bothers me or becomes an issue, I go, whoop, push it down here and don't deal with it. And even if God convicts me, even if he convicts me, I don't want to deal with it. And that was the story of my life when I left Quincy. I lived with Grandma and Grandpa for two years in Wenatchee, and you know how faithful followers of Jesus they are. And they kept trying to get me to come back to church, and I wanted nothing to do with it. My parents would pray for me. My grandparents would pray for me. My family was praying for me. I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I even got married right up here. Up on this platform. I kind of want to walk up here for a minute. Okay, I got married right here on this platform in front of all of you, many of you that are here today. Bob Linderman, who married my mom and dad, married my wife and me, right here on this stage. But during my 20s, right after that, I, I was running away. I wanted nothing to do with the Lord. I was arrogant. I was self-absorbed. And I wasn't that kind little Nate you all remember going up and asking you for your keys when I was five or six. <laughs> It was all about me. And I think, think people like my mom and dad and my grandparents and, and other people that were not necessarily directly in my life all the time, but were praying for me during that time. They wanted me to come back to Jesus, but I wouldn't budge. I would have called myself at that time a fan of Jesus, not a follower, not a chance. Now, you all know the difference between a fan and a follower, right? Anybody in here a Seahawks fan? 
Come on, y'all can raise your hands. Some of you are Mariner fans. Anybody in here? Okay. Now, there's a big difference between a fan and a follower. A fan will enjoy the win when the team wins. A fan will uh, be happy when the team wins, maybe disappointed when the team loses. But a follower is different. A follower hinges on every moment of every game. They're ecstatic when they win. And if the team loses, this is what you can expect for the rest of the Sunday or the Monday or the Tuesday, whatever the day the game is. They're sulking around the house. I guess. Gosh, I don't want to talk to you now. The Mariners lost. Seahawks lost. And everybody has to deal with that behavior for the rest of the day. Because their team lost. That's a follow. A fan can still go about everyday life. They can go to work and be fine. They're not going to be mad at anybody. They're happy. It's, it's okay. The team lost, but I can still go about my day. The follower knows everything about every play. They look to get all the information about the draft. They like to learn about the position battles in training camp and really understand. And their opinion about those position battles is important. They want to know what the media is saying about every coach and player. The fan watches the game casually, and if they miss one, no big deal. The follower is not missing a game. Jessica and I were that. We were fans of Jesus for most of our 20s. We casually attend church like y'all are today. We casually attend in our 20s, sing a few worship tunes, and then live the rest of the week indifferent to the gospel. However we wanted to live, that's how we lived throughout the week. And as this was going on, I would be having what you would call worldly success. For those of many of you here know this. For those of you that don't know, I'm a Division I college basketball referee. And it was my dream to officiate Division I basketball or in the NBA. I got hired when I was 25 years old, middle of my 20s, as a Division I basketball referee. I had accomplished one part of my dream. We had our first child, Grayson, who's here today. He's mad I said that he's here today, but he's here. He, when I was running this through last week, he said, please don't say that, but I said it, sorry. Um, I was making good money in my marketing, TV, and radio sales jobs. I, all of the things to the outside world were going well. But inside, inside here, I was at war. The enemy had me right where he wanted me. Pour yourself into your career. Achieve, achieve, achieve. Achievement is all that matters. That's what matters. Achieve. I push family away. I push my wife away. And if you stood in my way, stand in my way at that time, I wanted nothing to do with you. Nothing. To say it plainly, I was worried about me, myself, and I. The funny thing is, as I sit here today, even during that time, I see how God was opening doors and closing doors, putting people in my life, taking people that didn't need to speak into my life, out of my life, during that time to prepare me for this moment to be up here with you today. And it was in January of 2016 that um, Jess and I have this meeting every year. My wife's name is Jessica. She couldn't be here today. Riley has a soccer tournament. Um, so that... 2016 January, we have this annual meeting every year that we get together and we talk about uh, what are our goals for the year, uh, spiritual goals, financial goals, family goals. What do we want the next year to look like? We usually go to a hotel, spend the night, um, have a nice dinner together and share all the kind of dream for the next year. What do we want it to look like? And it was in this meeting that she said, hey, Nate, I'd really like to get plugged into a church. Now, keep in mind, she's the one that grew up in a non-Christian home and she's saying, hey, I want to get plugged into the church, to the Christian that grew up in the, in the faith. Kind of funny, isn't it? And I, the guy that went to church is like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, let's do it. Why not? Let's, I think we're going to keep doing what we've been doing. Let, let's keep doing what we've been doing. I'm going to go check a box every Sunday. That's fine. You want to go a little bit more, maybe meet a few new people in church, not just kind of walk in and walk out. That's fine. We can do that. So we started attending regularly after that basketball season in April. And that's where God really started to work on me and change my heart. He brought people around me that would actually speak life into me from this book right here, the Word of God. And he started working on me to be in relationship with him, not just check boxes. I recommitted my life to him back then, and, um, and I've been following Jesus ever since, and so has Jess. But what I didn't know is what he was going to do in the sanctification process over the next several years to get me to this point today. I didn't see the whole play. In officiating, we uh, see plays start, develop, finish, and then we make a decision. We'd like to see the whole movie before we blow our whistle or put air on our whistle. 
We want to see all of that. But I wasn't seeing any of that at that time. And I'm not sure I'll see the whole thing until uh, I get to heaven uh, with Jesus someday. But from 2016 to now, the Holy Spirit's led us to start a ministry for sports officials that meets every Monday on Zoom. It started in April of 2020. We meet every Monday night on Zoom. We just had our first retreat for Christian sports officials this past May. Uh, Jess has led several MOPS programs, women's ministries, uh, kids' ministries, and she co-leads the call and speaks every Monday night, or most Monday nights with me as well. And one of the things that excites me the most is both of our children on Sunday mornings want to go to church. They're excited. Now, they don't always like the 8.30 service. They would prefer your time here at 10.15. But they want to go to church on Sunday mornings. I want to take you to the book of Luke, uh, chapter 15, verses 4 through 7. If you want to turn there, I'll read it uh, to you. Luke 15, 4 through 7. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be many more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. A couple years ago, I was spending some time in prayer uh, and really just listening to God as he took me to that verse and I was reading it and, and listening to it and, and I saw a vision from God. I'm not Mr. See a vision from God guy all the time, um, but I saw a vision from God. I vividly remember I was sitting in silence and, and just sitting with that verse. And I saw myself doing this. I was running away, but I wasn't running straight ahead like this. I was running like this. Like that. And what I saw was Jesus back here, come over, grab me, lift me up, put me on his shoulders, and turn me back around. I often look back at that moment and wonder, what if he would have never rescued me and chased me down? Where would I be today? And, and most importantly, where would Jess and my kids be today? And the question I had to ask myself is this. Am I willing to say, here I am for the great I am? Am I willing to say, here I am for the great I am? And that's where I want us to hang out today. We're going to look at the life of Moses uh, and start our journey back in the, this portion of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And we're going to get into the book of Exodus here and zero in. And thank you, Nakoda, for reading the passage. We're going to zero in on the life of Moses. He's one of the most famous people of Israel, as we all know. And probably today and, and back then as well, people looked at him like he was a little crazy, wouldn't you think? Moses was a little nuts. We see in the first seven verses of Exodus 1 this transition from Joseph Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph and his brothers and that generation end, and we see it now turn. The people of Israel continue to be fruitful and multiply during this time and increase in number. Exodus 1-7, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So that's the backdrop. We see at the end of Genesis 50-20 that what the enemy meant for evil God means for good. We're seeing that here now, right? The descendants of Israel were growing. They were everywhere. And this new king, a pharaoh, arises and says, hold on, there's too many of you running around out here. There's too many of you Israelites running around. We've got to do something about this. We have to do something about this. What if there's a war? These people could join together with my enemies or even become my enemies and come after us. So he puts taskmasters over them to oppress them. But the more the Israelites were oppressed, the stronger they became. The more they multiplied, the stronger they got. So what does Pharaoh do? He's like, well, this isn't working. I got to try something else. He sets out a plan to have the Hebrew midwives now kill the children of Israel. What did the midwives say? Not going to do it. Not going to do it. We fear God more than we fear you, Pharaoh. And this is a theme we see throughout Scripture, we see it in the book of Acts, right, with Peter. We fear God more than we fear men. We got to obey God rather than men. So the midwives say, we're not going to kill the children. We're not going to kill them. And then God honors the midwives. Look at this in verse 22 of chapter 1, Exodus 1, 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son, 
that is born in the Hebrews, to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So because the Hebrew midwives were doing that, he's saying, you need to do this. And they're saying, no, we're not going to do it. So the Israelites, growing in number, Pharaoh doesn't like it. He tries to stop it a multitude of ways. Oppression, murder, and now he's going to say, cast the firstborn into the Nile. And this is where the Moses story begins. Look at Exodus 2, 1 through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. As the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Now let's think about this for a minute. You're a mom, dad for that matter, and uh, you know this edict is out there. You know your child's going to be cast into the Nile as soon as they're born. So what would you try to do, mom or dad? What would you try to do? you try to protect the child. You'd try to protect the child. Can you believe that they hid him for three months? Three months they hid Moses. Crying baby? You think it's easy to hide a crying baby? And we think we're persecuted out here in the West. We complain about our inconveniences. Moses was going to die dead. But his parents did anything they could to protect him. Verse 3, when she could hide him no longer, she took him, uh, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes, papyrus reeds, and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it, placed him among the reeds by the riverbank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Moses' parents giving up their son, they're placing him in the Nile where the, the people bathe. Now, at the time, there were a bunch of crocodiles in the river. Uh, I did a little research on this. There's not very many crocodiles there now. They've migrated somewhere else. Uh, over time, but there were a bunch of crocodiles. So they, she's trying to place him at a place where the crocodiles are not going to get Moses. And also uh, where she knew Pharaoh's court, people in Pharaoh's court bathe. That's where she placed him. So they let their child go. Now they're doing this all while Moses' sister watches. Many commentators believe that Moses' sister was about 10 to 12 at this time. And she's thinking, we're going to let Moses go, and he's going, he's gone. He's gone to die, pretty much. I can't even imagine, like Grayson's 12 and, and Riley's 8. Well, let's say Riley was a little younger. I can't imagine Grayson sitting there watching his sister just float away. You see the imagery here? You all see the imagery here? Have you ever seen anything happen to somebody that you love, that you care for, and you can't do anything about it? You just have to stand there and watch. Any of y'all been there? Verse 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds, sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Don't miss that one. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Could you imagine being Moses' mother here? You, you just sent your son down the river thinking that was the last time you're ever going to see him. And now he's back in your arms and you're nursing him again. That's interesting to me. Her emotions have to be crazy all over the place here. But it gets even crazier in verse 10. Look at this. She gives Moses back. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of water. Let's recap this for a minute. He's a Jewish child, sentenced to death, and in God's providence over all of this, he grows up in the Egyptian court of the man who was going to kill him, sentenced him to die. Wow. God knew what he had planned for Moses. God knew in his divine providence, his, his divine sovereignty, that Moses' mother would have to give him away a second time to fulfill what he had planned for Moses in his life. You think that took any faith? Hebrews 11.23 talks about this. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and, <clears throat> excuse me, was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They weren't afraid of the king's edict. They weren't afraid of Pharaoh. Why were they not afraid? Because they put total trust and total devotion into God. That's why they weren't afraid. They knew or just trusted that God would deliver Moses. 
And even if he didn't, it's okay. I'm trusting you, God. Moses' mother didn't give up Moses just once. You got to think about that. She did it again. Did it again. And by doing that, she actually allowed Pharaoh's daughter to raise him up and it saved Moses' life. Think about that for a minute. So here's a question I have for all of us today. What king are you afraid of? What king are you afraid of? What worldly thing are you afraid of right now? In fear of, living in fear of right now? What, what are you afraid of? Is it, the, is it the government or the political party opposite you that's in charge? Is it your finances? Is it, is it maybe a son or daughter that's ran away? What, what are you afraid of right now? And by run away, I mean run away from Jesus. What king or something that you've made king in your life, an idol, are you afraid of right now? After this, Moses grows up, and when he's older, he sees an Egyptian and a Hebrew fighting, and we all know this story, or most of us know this story, and he tells them that he ends up killing the Egyptian, right? He ends up killing the Egyptian. The next day, he sees two of his own people fighting, and they go, who made you judge over us, Moses? What say do you have? You gonna kill us too? Moses got scared that Pharaoh heard him <laughs> killing the Egyptian, so he flees now. He flees to Midian. He fled from his upbringing as an Egyptian, which is a pretty good life. And he sits down by a well, and we eventually see him marry Jethro's daughter. And verse 23 of chapter 2 through 25, we see, During those days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So the people of Israel have been crying out, God, please help us. Please help us. We are tired of being under this bondage. We are tired of being under this oppression. We are tired of, of people just not seeing us. They were tired. They were just plain tired. Don't miss verse 25, though. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I want to stop right here for a minute and say this. I said it earlier. We're not under persecution in the West for our faith. Maybe we will be someday. We're not yet. We're free to come here on Sunday mornings and worship, which is a great thing. Go to Iran or uh, China or these other places, Cuba, where the, the church is restricted. We, we are not under persecution for our faith. Maybe we will be someday. We're inconvenienced, aren't we? Sometimes for being a Christian. We're laughed at, probably. Looked at as crazy from time to time, more than likely. But I want to say this, just because we aren't persecuted doesn't mean that what you're going through isn't difficult and it doesn't hurt. I'm guessing there's people here today, and I want to speak directly to you that have been in pain for a really, 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 really long time. You've gone through something that maybe only your close friends know, or maybe nobody knows. And you've never opened that box up because you don't want to open it up. You've prayed and 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 you feel that God does not hear you. You've been asking God to deliver you, your family. You've been asking for healing from a disease. You've been asking for release from deep bondage of sin that nobody knows about. You've been crying out and you don't know what else to do. Let me tell you something. God sees you and God knows. God sees you and he knows. And he loves you more than you can even imagine. Church, don't miss that today. He loves you more than you can ever imagine. The people of Israel were slaves to the Egyptians. The people of Israel, the firstborn sons are dying. They're being cast in the river to die. That's not a time of jubilation for God's chosen people, is it? This was a time of Israel just crying out to God. And they probably thought, he's not listening. He can't hear us. Didn't you forget the promise, God? Why should we even pray to you? God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Isaiah 55, 9, one of my favorite verses. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher 
in your thoughts. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. He sees you and he knows what you're going through. It may not feel good. It might not be something that you enjoy going through. <clears throat> but he sees you and he hears you and he knows. And he sees the people of Israel. And now we're going to see God reveal himself to Moses in a way that is truly crazy. And this is the verse that Dakota read earlier. Exodus 3, 1 through 15. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now this is the famous Mount Sinai, which means mountain of God. This is where events of the Exodus are going to happen over the next few chapters. This is the story of the Israelites is going to unfold. This mountain is where uh, Aaron meets Moses when he comes back um, from Midian. And God meets Moses on this mountain when Israel comes out of Egypt. And this is where he gives them the law. So that's why it's called Mountain of God. Verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. All right, what do you think your reaction would have been if there's a burning bush here to the side of you and it's on fire, but it's not burning up? Like it's on fire, but it's not consuming. The thing is not burning. It's just on fire. We're in a desert. We're out there. Um, he's a shepherd. He's shepherding the flock and all of his people or all of his sheep, he's thinking, what am I going to do with these sheep? This, this thing's on fire. That's where my reaction would be. This could spread to the entire hillside, and then all of a sudden he's realizing that nothing is being consumed here. Now let's, let's take a walk for a minute. You go out on the loop trail. It's still called the loop trail, right? Everybody, is it still the loop? Okay, all right. So you go on this walk down the loop trail, and you're walking down the loop trail, and riding your bike down the loop trail, and all of a sudden the bush next to you is on fire. What do you think you all are going to do? You're going to grab the cellular device. You're going to pick it up and you're gonna call 911. And you're probably gonna jump out of the way or go and try to find some water out of the river to put it out. That, that's my reaction. But, but the bush here is not being consumed. And then <laughs> he hears a voice, but there's no human lips that it came from. So the, 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 the place is on fire, but no human agent to kindle the fire. The voice is coming out of it, but no human lips from which it came, no living being. But one was in the bush, in the heat of the flames, who knew Moses and addressed him by name. This couldn't be anything but the divine. Now let's look what happens next in verse 4. When God, when the Lord saw that he, Moses, turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. All right, as if Moses didn't know by now. As if Moses didn't know by now that this is God speaking to him through the, bowl, uh, the burning bush. He has to, right? He has to know by now. A couple of things of note here. Moses would understand to a point of what God was telling him here when he says, take off your sandals, because when you would go into an Egyptian court, it was customary for them to take off their sandals uh, during those days. Similar to us, when we don't wear a hat uh, to church or into a building. Uh, things have changed a lot through the years. A lot of people wear hats now inside, but back, in, back a few years ago, people weren't wearing hats inside and things like that. So it's very similar in that type of reference. But the big difference between us taking a hat off out of respect and today is different in those days when they take the sandals off because it was a confession of conscious unworthiness to stand in the presence of unspotted holiness. The mountain itself is not holy. The mountain itself is not holy, but being in God's perfect, unspotted, unstained presence is what makes it holy. Verse six, and he, this is God now saying, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. The perfect glory of God, the unspotted holiness. When you are in the presence of God like that, you can't even look at him. That's who we're talking about here. Verse 7. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. 
I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, Moses is in this crazy encounter with God. And God says, I know the people of Israel. I know your people have been suffering. I've heard them. I know I, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. And I'm going to deliver them. But now, now look at, look at Moses' response here. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Moses feels unworthy. I can't do this, God. No, 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 not me, not me, not me. Why are you asking me? Who am I? Who am I, God? Now, this wouldn't be the first time that Moses says this to God. And, and, and has anybody here ever felt like this? Who am I, God? You want me to do what? Verse 12. He said, God again, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain, the mountain of God. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, here's Moses again, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, I think this is a pretty legitimate question from Moses. But God's response here is one of the most powerful moments, I believe, in all of the canon of Scripture. Listen to the words of Exodus 3.14 and take a moment to let these sink in. I really want you all to hear these today. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Can we sit for a moment and let, let Scripture do what Scripture does? God on a mountain from a bush, a burning bush, speaks to Moses and says these five words, I am who I am. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. There's so much to unpack from the scriptures we've read today, but I want to give you two main takeaways here um, from the text today. The first one is God's presence should make you tremble. God's presence should make you tremble. The holiness of God is something that we can't even fathom. I'm telling you, we can't even fathom. As we look at this story, um, I think it's hard for us in 2023 to fully comprehend what we're talking about here. Moses is out tending the flock of his father-in-law, and out of nowhere, this bush is on fire. After the initial shock, Moses realized that the fire's not spreading. We're good there. Fire's not spreading anywhere. And then God says, remove your sandals, Moses. Take them off. Where you are right now is holy ground. And then we see God speak again, and, and God's over here, and Moses can't even look because he's so holy. He feels so unworthy. Don't miss this today. God is so holy. He's so perfect. He's so blameless that we can't even enter into his presence, presence without what Jesus did on the cross. But we should be so moved when we are in his presence that we tremble at his name. Psalm 96, 9, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Psalm 29, 2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Now, I doubt anybody here today, and if you have, please come see me after the service, has had God speak to you through a burning bush. But when we enter, as a, enter into his presence, it should make us tremble. It should move us. We should understand that he's so perfect. He's so holy. We don't deserve to be in your presence, God. But you're allowing me to be in your presence, that we should remove our figurative sandals, and we should hide our face. I want to tell you all something that I think is really important, especially in 2023. 
God is not some self-help guru that's going to give you a better life in the here and now. Now that does come, and it is part of it, but he's not a self-help guy. He's holy. He's mighty. That's how we should revere God. That's how we should look at God. That's the worship that should flow out of us like it did with Moses. We should want to hide, but we should also feel loved and thankful that we can be in his presence. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We fear his name, we tremble at his name, and we worship. That's what it should be. The second thing I want all of us to take away from today's passage is we serve and worship the great I am. The significance of God saying, I am who I am. This delineates him, delineates Yahweh, God, from any other being. I am who I am, Yahweh. This is who I am. It delineates me from any other little God that you think you can conjure up and manufacture for yourself. John Piper in his book, Providence, says it this way. When God said to Moses, I am who I am, he did not say that was his name. He said, in effect, before you concern yourself with my name and where I line up again against the many gods of Egypt or Babylon or Philistia, and before you wonder about conjuring me with my name, and even before you wonder if I am the God of Abraham, before all of that, be stunned by this. I am who I am. Let's put it in this day and age for everybody today. Before you concern yourself with where you line up with that friend of yours over there, with where the boss that you're trying to please lines up in your life, or that idol that you've put in place before me, before all of that, I am who I am. In other words, before you hear my name, which is Yahweh, before you hear his name, grasp his unique, absolute being over all other beings. That's who God is. His absolute being comes before his name. He then follows this up with, say, say this to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. He still hasn't told him his name yet. He's building a bridge now between his being, I am who I am, and his name. Yahweh. He tells Moses, tell the people of Israel, the one who is, who absolutely is, sent me to you. Little note here, anytime you see the word the Lord in small caps in our Bibles, we should see this as the proper name for God. I am who I am and all that it implies. Did you know that um, the short form of Yahweh is Yah? And we're singing hallelujah. That means praise Yahweh. I don't know if any of you knew that, but as I was uh, reading through and studying for this, that really got me. Like when we sing hallelujah, you're praising God. You're praising Yahweh. We aren't just talking here about I was, I could be, or I will be. We aren't just talking about this little mini lowercase g God that we manufacture, like I said earlier, for ourselves or something to achieve the destiny that we desire. We are talking about I am. Which in and of itself, by definition, definition means all those things. He was, he is, and he is to come. So here's what he's saying. This is what God is saying to Moses when he says, I am who I am. Before there was... I am, present tense. In the here and now, I am. In the future and for all eternity, I am. Another John Piper quote, I love what he, he just does such a great job uh, talking about this in his book. God never had a beginning, he'll never have an end. He depends on nothing, yet everything depends on God. He is constant. He is the standard of truth, goodness, and beauty. God does whatever he pleases. He's always right. He's always beautiful, and he's always in accord with the truth. God's absolute being means that he is the most important and most valuable reality and most important and most valuable person in the universe. So this is what our response should be. 
here I am, for the great I am. That should be our response. Here I am, for the great I am. But, of course, Moses, like us, needs a little, he needs a little back and forth first, doesn't he? He needs a little back and forth. We all, we all need a little back and forth. We're not just going to do what he says most of the time. So this is Moses. Moses over here. I'm not worthy to be in your presence, God. Come back over. I know your people suffering. I will deliver you. Back to Moses. What should I say, God? What should I say? Moses, I am has sent me to you. All right, Moses, still, you think you've got it figured out by then. No, 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 no. Moses, how will the people believe that you sent me, God? See that staff you're holding? Throw it on the ground. Just throw it on the ground. Yeah, no, it's okay. Seriously, just throw your staff on the ground. It becomes a snake, and, and Moses throws the staff on the ground and runs away from the snake. This is the back and forth they're having right now. Then God tells Moses after he runs away, grab the snake by the tail. Comes over, whoop, grabs the snake by the tail to staff again. As if that wasn't enough, God now says, okay, put your hand in your cloak, or put your hand in your cloak, Moses. Put, put your hand in it. I mean, can you see? This is what I think God's doing. Put your hand in your cloak. He does it. Pulls it out, leprosy all over it. God says, put it back in, Moses. Puts it back in. Comes back out. No leprosy. Okay, now they don't believe these two signs, Moses. They don't believe all these things that I've showed you. Throw your, throw your staff down, it becomes a snake. Put your hand in there, pull it out, it becomes leprosy. They don't believe those things. Why don't you take a little water? Now, I'd love to go back to the baptismal and grab some water. I just don't think that'd be okay. So, but grab some water and throw it on the ground. It'll become blood. Grab some water, throw it on the ground, it'll become blood. Moses, here's Moses' response. I, I'm, I'm giving you all this because I think we've all been here. These signs are cool, God. I really think they're great, and they'll probably resonate with the folks there. That's great. But I'm not eloquent. I, I, I've got a speech impediment, God. God's starting to get a little irritated now. I have made your mouth. And I've made everybody else's mouth, too. Then Moses, now, he's finally, he's like, please send someone else, God. Please send someone else. Don't send me. Send someone else. All right, now God's angry. God's not happy with him now. He goes, all right. Listen to my call, Moses. This is what I have for you. You need to do this. And I'll even give Aaron to you so he can speak for you. I was, and I am, and I am to come. I want you to do this, Moses. I am who I am. Will you just believe me? And I don't want you all to raise your hand, but anybody here had a back and forth like this with God before? Anybody? He's asking us to do something for him and we give him all these excuses like we don't want to do it. We miss the signs right in front of us and, and we're worried about our own deficiencies. This was a story for me in 2019. I mean, I was asked to speak at the Referees Embracing Faith Conference. Step out in my faith, be bold in my faith. And I went through a back and forth with God before he finally said, well, you just do it. Will you just do it? And he changed the trajectory of my life. Because I was bold in my faith. I was worried about my own deficiencies. But God knows your deficiencies. He knows my deficiencies. He knows all about you. And he wants to do a work in you. And he wants to use each and every one of you here today. Remember that we serve the great I am. Moses and many of us try to do all of this on our own power. We try to manufacture it up. We try to do these things that we think we can do on our own power. Or we just decide not to do them for them because we don't think we have enough power. Well, I'm here to tell you, you don't have enough power. But he does. He does. And all he wants us to do is say to him, here I am, God. Here I am, God, send me. Isaiah. Once Moses finally surrendered, surrendered, look at what he does. 
He uses Moses to bring the Israelites out of Egypt and out of bondage and into freedom by splitting an ocean apart. I am who I am. He used Moses to get water from a rock for the people of Israel after they're crying out in the desert. I am who I am. He used Moses to deliver the Ten Commandments, the moral code, the moral law that we still use as the basis of the new covenant today. He used Moses to build the tabernacle. And it wasn't Moses. It was the Spirit of God working through Moses, an ordinary man that had a speech impediment, that felt unworthy, that felt not good enough, that felt like he had a million doubts. And people at that time would look at Moses and think, thought, you are crazy. You're nuts. And then we see in the New Testament, Jesus come down, the great I am, holy God and fully man, and say things like this. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. Where do you think he's getting the I am statement from? I am the true vine. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. I am, I am, I am. I am the great I am. This doesn't sound like someone that's giving us a lot of options to choose from multiple different pathways to manifest ourselves to what we think is good for ourselves. He's saying, I am who I am. I am the only way. I am the only way. I want to end today with three questions that I think we can reflect on this week as we sit in awe of God and, and really just see who he is. First question is this, when was the last time you sat in awe of the great I am? When was the last time you just sat there and figuratively sat there with God in awe and took your sandals off? Figuratively. No, you don't have to actually take your shoes off. Take your sandals off and just sat there in his presence. When was the last time you did that? It's going to take some quieting. It might take you going into a, a, a section of the house that's quiet. It might take you finding some time going on a drive in the countryside. It might, whatever it is. But when is the last time you've actually been blown away by the presence of God? Sitting in awe of him. Making yourself aware of his holiness. Quieting all the noise around us and realize he is overall and he is in all. Second thing I want to ask you today is what do you need to wrestle down in prayer right now? <clears throat> what is God asking you to turn over to the great I am? Look at Moses. He went back and forth with God. That's okay. God was still faithful, wasn't he? He went back and forth with him. There's things we have to wrestle down in prayer. We have to wrestle down the unworthiness. We have to wrestle down the not good enough. What in your life right now is the Holy Spirit convicting you of that you haven't wanted to give over to him? Something from your past maybe that you don't want to let go of or never have let him into. Something in the news or the political realm that doesn't make sense to you. Why is this happening? Go to God. Maybe a relationship that's gone sideways for a reason that you don't know, or, or maybe you do know what the reason is, but it's gone sideways and God wants you to wrestle it down with him. Pastor of our church back home said this to me a while back, and it's really hit home with me. He says, we have to let the Holy Spirit go down in the depths of our soul and allow him to do the work in us if we want true transformational change and a deeper walk with our creator. Will you let him do that? What do you need to wrestle down in prayer right now? The last thing I want to ask you is, will you say, here I am for the great I am? King's Orchard Church of Christ, will you say, here I am for the great I am? Will you truly do whatever he's asking you to do? What if it's sitting across the table from an enemy that's been uh, an enemy for years? Will you do it? If he's asking you to do that, to forgive him? 
What if it's calling a son or daughter that's ran away from the Lord and you don't know what to say? But he's saying you need to pick up the phone. Will you do it? What if it's allowing the Bible to be your source? Not social media or the news or your television set. Will you do it? Will you say, here I am for the great I am and do what he requires? Remember this, it won't be by your own doing. It won't be by your own power. You're going to feel unworthy. You're going to feel like you're not enough. You're going to feel like you can't be used by God. All he's asking you to do is say, here I am, God. Here I am for the great I am. Send me wherever you want to send me. There's something God is asking you to do right now, or maybe he's been asking you to do it for quite some time. And you just don't want to do it. You want to keep going back and forth and going back and forth and going back and forth. All he wants you to do is yield to him right now and surrender to him. So as you go out this week, as you go out this week, I want this to be our rallying cry. Here I am for the great I am. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for the honor to, to be here with so many great people today, God, and, and uh, share your word, Lord. I feel unworthy to be even up here speaking, and I, I just am so grateful for the opportunity to be with these people. And I, I just pray right now, God, that we sit in awe of who you are, that we realize how holy you are, how mighty you are. And that we sit in awe of your presence, God. And while we're doing that, God, we are thankful because you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross so that we can have direct access, direct relationship to you. Lord, help us to realize that, yes, our sin separates, but because of what you did on the cross, because of what you did for each and every person here in this room, that we can sit in your presence that we can have a conversation with you, that we can wrestle down situations we haven't even wanted to go to in prayer. And I just pray for each and every person here, myself included, God, that we say to you, here I am for the great I am. You are the great I am. You're the alpha, you're the omega, you're the beginning and the end. And we thank you that we are saved by you. By our faith, through grace, we are saved. And we thank you, Jesus. I just pray a special blessing over the people of King's Orchard Church of Christ, Lord God, that uh, so graciously allowed me to be up here uh, speaking today. And I thank you just uh, for the hearts of everyone here. We love you, Lord. We give you this week. We give you the rest of today. You're a good, good father, and we thank you. You are the great I am. In Jesus' name, amen.